Well, we've uh, reached the end of another year. I knew it was coming. You know, it's inevitable. You can't stop time. I wish I could, because I keep getting older. I know I don't look it, but uh, I am fairly old. But um, I do know people treat you a bit differently as you get older. You know, uh, no one expects you to run anywhere. People call you at nine in the evening and ask, did I wake you? <laughs> and, uh, you know, people are willing to share their deep, dark secrets with you because they figure you're not going to remember it anyway. So, uh, but I'm not here to give you a message about growing older because um, we're all growing older. Nothing we can do about it. We just want to live each day for the Lord until the Lord calls us home. You know, my message this morning is going to be about faith. It's a topical message. It's a simple message because I'm a simple person. But the gospel is powerful, isn't it? So when I talk about faith, I'm talking about what do I believe and what do you believe. And so I want to have your Bibles ready because we're going to go through a number of Scripture passages about faith. You know, I titled this uh, message, A Leap of Faith in the Leap Year, and I, I made that up. Isn't that pretty catchy? Uh, a Leap of Faith in the Leap Year. Because 2024 is a leap year. You know, it happens every four years, so, you know, we can synchronize our calendars to uh, synchronize with the astronomical or the seasonal years. So every four years, we have one day extra. And this is a leap year, and you get one day extra. And so we're going to talk about leaping of faith in the leap year. And to leap, when you think of leap, you think of something to, regarding to, to jump or to bound or to move swiftly. To leap is not to take a small step. And when it comes to our faith in the Lord, why don't we take a big leap of faith in 2024? Not a small step of faith, but a big leap of faith in 2024. So I want to talk about faith this morning and what the Bible says about it and how we can be better at it as we begin a new year. You know, when I was growing up in a Baptist church, uh, in the pulpit, there was a sign, a little sign there, and it was there for years. And what it said, it was from a Bible scripture passage. It said, sirs, we would see Jesus. Sirs, we would see Jesus. And if I don't preach Jesus this morning, something's wrong with my message. So that's what I want to do. So I want to talk about faith but I'm going to talk about Jesus. So uh, let me open this service with prayer before we begin. Dear Lord, thank you for this time. I pray that you use me, this poor, weak vessel, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to this audience that's here this morning. So I pray, Lord, that you'll work through me and that uh, the word will go forth powerfully as we uh, share what the Bible says about the topic of faith. So I ask you this, Lord, for this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, if I ask you what's a very familiar uh, passage of Scripture regarding faith, I bet you a lot of, a lot of you would say Hebrews 11.1, 1, wouldn't you? Now, faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. Faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the certainty of what we do not see. You see, 
If you looked at Hebrews 11.1, you don't have to turn to it right now, but if you looked at Hebrews 11.1, the first verse would be the assurance and the certainty of what we do not see. But then through that whole chapter, it goes through what? The heroes of the faith that walked by faith, Abraham and Enoch and Noah and Jacob and all these great heroes of the faith that lived by faith. They didn't receive the promise, but they knew the promise would be there, and they walked by faith. Because as it says in verse 6 of Hebrews 11, without faith it is what? Impossible to please God. Without faith it's impossible to please God. So faith is a certainty of what we do not see. What did Jesus say to Thomas after his resurrection? Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who what? Have not seen and yet believe. Believing what we cannot see. Faith is believing what we cannot feel or touch or smell. Faith is believing what we cannot see. But as I study the Bible, I see that there are three types or kinds of faith that I want to share with you this morning. Three types or kinds of faith that I see in the Bible as I've studied it. First one is saving faith. The second is the faith. And third is enduring faith. All important subjects regarding faith. Saving faith, the faith, and enduring faith. So let's talk about saving faith. What is saving faith? What does it say in Hebrews 2, 8 through 9? For what? For by grace are you saved through what? Faith. And that out of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. So you, you are saved by grace through faith. Salvation, think of it. Salvation is a gift of God, brought to us by grace and received by personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty simple, isn't it? Receive salvation by grace, God's gift to us, but we receive it by faith. It is having the faith, the assurance that the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross was sufficient and all that was necessary to save us from our sins. Nothing else, not of works, the grace of God that was sufficient to save us from our sins, and we accept that by faith. It is accepting all that Christ's death and resurrection accomplished for us, and nothing else needs to be added. Is that an amen? Nothing else. You know, if you can, uh, like, one of my favorite Bible verses is Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, what will happen? You will be saved. You know, when Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It is believing that that is true and you stake your life on it and all of eternity on it. But I want to tell you this, saving faith is volitional. It's a commitment of the will. You come to Jesus Christ by a commitment of the will to come in faith to him. Now I'm gonna ask you this, have you come to that point? Have you embraced that saving faith? You know, as humans, we tend to want proof and evidence 
and intellectual validation before accepting anything that is abstract or illogical. And when you think of it, faith is very illogical, isn't it? Because I can't see it, I can't touch it, I can't smell it. It's illogical. But you know, coming to saving faith is different, isn't it? To me, it's like crossing a vast gulf, a chasm. It looks impossible because there's no bridge that you can see to cross. How can I cross a vast gulf with no bridge? But you know this, when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and by faith, you take that first step over the edge. By faith, you take that first step over the edge on a bridge you cannot see. You know what happens? Jesus Christ becomes that bridge, isn't it? Jesus Christ becomes that bridge, and you simply cross over to the other side by faith. Even though you cannot see it and feel it and touch it, that bridge is there, and that's Jesus Christ. But the first step you have to take is to cross, take that first step over the cliff on a bridge you cannot see. You know, some of you here today may have struggled for years about stepping out and crossing that seemingly unbridgeable gulf. Intellectually, you can't wrap your arms around it. But right now, I'll tell you this. Right now, the Holy Spirit may be stirring something in your heart, convicting you that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, that you need to repent of your sins, and that it's time to get things settled and take that leap of faith by stepping onto that unseeable, invisible bridge and cross over to the other side and begin a new life in Christ. And I tell you this, you'll never experience the joy and wonderment of walking with the Lord until you take that first step of faith in Jesus Christ, and you can do that today. You don't need to wait until the new year. The new year may never come to you for you. So, I'm going to be right here, in front, right after this service. And if the Lord's convicting you of your need for a Savior, you come to the front right after the service. Don't wait. I can't get up here and give a message on faith without giving an invitation to come to Jesus Christ. So I'll be right here after this service. If you need to talk, you need to pray. You know, when I was a young boy... I um, we had an altar call every Sunday. It was a Baptist church, of course. But you know, I struggled probably for four or five Sundays with my hands on that front pew when the invitation was given to go forward, and I resisted. But you know what was I doing? The Holy Spirit was convicting me that I needed a Savior, and I was hanging on to that. But then one Sunday. I let go, and I went forward. I looked back, <laughs> and there was my mom in tears. She was praying for me. I'm, I'm sure there's people praying for you, that you get saved, you know. But you know, when I went forward, and I sat down with one of the pastors, I knew I was saved, wasn't it? 
the Holy Spirit was indwelling me at that time, and I knew I was saved. It was, I was, there, there's a change in my life, right? There was a change, and I knew it. And I got saved. And all these things were added on to me because the Holy Spirit indwelt me, baptized me, guided me, illuminated me, taught me, all these things that you will not know until you come to Jesus Christ. Let the Holy Spirit take over your life and guide and direct you and go into that walk of faith. You can do it right now. So that's saving faith, isn't it? Let's talk about the faith. Matter of fact, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And uh, verse 13. Now I read out of the NIV. Notice my hand shakes. This doesn't. I'm not nervous. I don't get nervous when I get up to speak to people. I used to be. But I, I got that from my dad. And uh, one of the many good, I wouldn't say it was a good thing I got, but it wasn't a great thing because uh, I, when, I, when, I, um, when I speak, when I do, an, I do this hand, if I did the hand, it'd go like that. Yeah. So thank you, Dad. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, what does it say? It says, be in your guard, stand firm in what? The faith. Be men of courage, be strong, and do everything in love. Be firm in the faith. Why? Well, Paul tells us to be firm in the faith, and turn over to chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, where it says, Now, brothers... I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. And by this gospel you were saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. What was Paul preaching? He was preaching about the faith. He was preaching about what you need to know. Now, go over to Titus. Go forward to Titus, right past 2 Timothy. And look at verse 9 of Titus chapter 1, where it says, talking to Titus, he says, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by what? Sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Paul was telling these these here at the Church of Corinth primarily, to stand firm in the faith because I taught you what the faith is. Now you need to live by it because if you don't live by it and understand it, what's going to happen? You won't know truth from error. And we really need that today, don't we? We must be able to stand firm in the faith. You see, once you've been saved, you begin the process of learning more and more about the faith through the reading of the Bible, through the studying of the Bible, through personal devotions, through the, under the teaching of learned Bible teachers and preachers, through being discipled. You need to grow in the faith to know what you believe so you can refute 
errors that come along, and they will. Basically, the faith is being taught sound doctrine. And doctrine is simply the sound teaching of the entire gospel message. You know, this teaching of sound doctrine is a teaching of the faith. And as you grow in the faith, you come to experience the power of God in your life. Isn't that right? As you grow in the faith, you become to experience the power of God because the, the, word of, the power of God always accompanies the word of God. Isn't that right? Because you, you know you're not reading a mere book, right? You're reading God's word. And people make the mistake of this is a book. No, it's not a book. It's God's word. And when you're into God's word, what happens? It changes your life. It makes you a different person, you see. But it also makes you smart up here to know truth from error. In other words, you become more Christ-like. Imagine if the teaching of sound doctrine were neglected. On what basis would false teaching be rejected? How would you know what was truth and what was worth holding on to? How would we distinguish right from wrong? How would sin be confronted and corrected? How are we to live a holy life without knowing what the Bible teaches about holiness? How would you know how to refute the false teachers that come knocking on your door proclaiming that they know the truth? How would you know it if you don't know the truth? You know, you don't, know to, you don't need to know all their so-called truth, but you need to know your truth. And you, know, you need to know how to refute it. And that's learning about the faith. And we all need to ask ourselves, to what have we grown in the faith this past year? How much have we been in God's word to understand more about our faith, the faith? You know, there are multiple ways in the church to grow in the faith. Life groups, growth groups, Bible studies. And every Sunday, every Sunday, we have the privilege of sitting under the sound expository preaching from this pulpit. And that's a blessing. There's not many churches today that preach sound doctrine, that expository preach, that preach from the expository teaching of the Bible. Let me ask you this. Are you regularly sitting under the teaching of God's Word? How regularly are you in attendance here at this church? When you come into this sanctuary to worship the Lord, you need to come in with an open heart and an open mind and ask God, teach me what I need to know. And I tell you this, God will teach you what you need to know. Okay. So I say this, make this faith. Make, make, if you're weak in your faith, make this new leap here, starting tomorrow. You can start tonight. The year that you resolve to know, know, you resolve to know more about what you believe about the faith. I guarantee you that you will have a great spiritual experience because learning more about what you believe will change your life. You know, we're all on a spiritual journey, process they call sanctification. And we can never fathom all the deep truths of Scripture, but we can be diligent and committed to understanding and practicing the truths that we have and what we have learned. You know, this past uh, September through December, I taught a class on eschatology. Eschatology is a Greek word for the end times, for the last days. You think I knew everything about the end times? 
No, I'm as dumb as the next guy. I'm probably dumber, okay? But you know what I did? I studied, right? I got my commentaries. I got my, Bi my Bible. I studied, and I prepared my outlines, and I got ready to prepare to do, it, to do the teaching. It just didn't come off the top of my head. And none of it will for you either. If you want to know about, about Christ, you've got to get into the Word, and you've got to sit under the teaching of sound expository preaching that we get every Sunday morning. You need to do it. You need to be here. You need to be here. So, I've talked about saving faith. And I've talked about the faith, sound doctrine. Know what you believe. Now I want to talk about enduring faith. I want to spend a few minutes on that because it's... Uh, remember old Dr. J. Vernon McGee? He used to say... This is where the rubber hits the road. <laughs> Remember that? He's still on the radio. I know he's been dead for years, but he's been, somehow he's on the radio. I can't explain it. <laughs> Basically, when you come right down to it, what's enduring faith? It's where your faith in the Lord is going to be tested, and it will be tested. I say that because the Christian life's not easy. You know, the great Christian writer A.W. Tozier, he wrote that the Christian life is like a pilgrimage through a robber-infested forest with dangers all around. And we cannot escape the curse. We cannot escape the curse of sin of this world or the schemes of the devil that thwart us at every turn because we're walking through a robber-infested forest and there's dangers all around, you know. If you want to live a, a sound Christian life, a victorious Christian life, then the devil's going to come after you. If you don't want to live a victorious, effective Christian life, you'll be fine because the devil's going to leave you alone. But if you want to live a victorious Christian life, you're going to expect you're going to be tested. We live in a fallen world where bad things happen to, bad, to good people and bad things happen to bad people, right? It rains on the just and on the unjust. You know, that's just the world that we live in. This and I believe there's basically two areas where we need to have a faith that is enduring. And by that, by that I mean a faith that says, no matter what I encounter in life, whatever I face, whatever temptations grabs me and tries to take hold of me, I have a faith that will remain strong that I can put my trust in the Lord in the difficult circumstances that come into my life, that I will not doubt in the dark what I saw in the light. And the first area I think we need, where we need enduring faith is in the temptations of this world. Wouldn't you all agree that we're bombarded every day with the temptations of this godless world? A world controlled by the prince of the power of this evil system, that's Satan himself. Temptations that are aimed by Satan to keep you from this book, to keep you from this house of worship, and to keep your Christian life stagnant and useless. That's all he wants. Don't go to church, don't read your Bible, and uh, you'll be, and, and be willing to live a stagnant, useless life, and you're going to be just fine. But that's not the Christian life. But I tell you this, pleasure and gain are the main attractions in this world, isn't it? 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, where everything is for sale and everything you should have because you deserve it. You know, in that uh, great allegorical story of the Christian life, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, by John Bunyan, as Christian and faithful are on their journey to the celestial city. How many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress? If you haven't, you ought to. They come to a city, and they, uh, they, they come to this town, and it's called Vanity. And then that town was a fair called Vanity Fair, which went on all year long. And at this fair, one could see jugglers and cheats, games, plays, fools, mimics, tricksters, and scoundrels of every kind. Here one could see without charge thefts, murders, adulterers, liars, and things of scarlet. Scarlet. Now, let me ask you this. Doesn't that sound like the world we live in today? <laughs> you know, we're living in one big vanity fair, aren't we? But, uh, but enduring faith tells us to keep our eyes straight ahead. Focused. To look neither to the left nor to the right as we walk through this world's vanity fair. And in doing so, be, and this is important, be willing in doing so, be willing to accept the criticism and the ridicule for our faith, just as Christian and faithful did on their journey, and just as the Apostle Paul did when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 4.12, when we are persecuted, we do what? We endure it. And that's the thing we need to understand this morning, is that we are going to be ridiculed and criticized. You know, as Pastor Brett said some time ago, you know, we live in a world of inverted morality. What is good, what was once bad is now good. What is good is now bad. And we have to endure that because we have to stand firm. We have to have that enduring faith to look neither to the left nor to the right and to accept that we will be criticized. You know, for Christian and faithful, it said the people stared at them rudely, some said they were fools, some said they were madmen, and some say they were outlandish. And this greatly amused the merchants. These pilgrims, Christian and faithful, were not interested in any of their wares. They didn't even, look, they didn't even want to look at them. You see, Christian and faithful had enduring faith not to be trapped by the temptations of Vanity Fair. And we need to do that too, don't we? If some of this world's vanity fear got you ensnared, whatever that may be, is it lust, pride, materialism? You know, King Solomon had everything. Immense wealth, power, women, prestige. But in the end, what did he say in Ecclesiastes? All is vanity. It's all meaningless. Turn over to 1 John. 1 John. If you can't find it, it's right before 2 John. Okay. But in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And look at verses 15 through 17. Where John writes, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has done, what he has and does, come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and his desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Don't be hooked by all the temptations to get and to get and to get, whatever it is. You know, live your life fully for the Lord, and you'll see all the blessings will come on to you, won't they? Maybe not the blessings of wealth and prosperity, but all the blessings that you, all the blessings you need to live a Christian life. You know, here lies a miser who lived for himself, and all his thoughts were gathering wealth. Now, where he is and how he fares, nobody knows and nobody cares. You know, that's the world, isn't it? It all passes away, but the Word of God stands forever. So let's make this coming leap year the leap you make, enduring faith your greatest priority. As Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If your heart's not with the Lord, then it's somewhere else. Where is it? Think about it and examine your heart. Okay. The other area I think we need enduring faith is when certain events in life deals us a heavy blow. And it may be a blow you weren't expecting and didn't want. And, it's perhaps, and perhaps has literally brought you to your knees. Tragedy strikes. You suddenly lose a dear loved one. You lose your job. Your spouse leaves you for another lover. Whatever it may be, disappointments and trials and heartaches and tribulations and sorrows. It all comes raining down like a heavy thunderstorm that darkens a once sunny bright day. You know. See, this is where enduring faith comes in. Because we may pray for answers would never come. But if we have enduring faith, we can endure. That's why it's so necessary to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when you go through these trials and tribulations and heartaches and sorrows, you have an anchor in Jesus Christ that doesn't move. You have a hand to grab onto when you feel you're drowning in sorrow and despair. You know. You know, some of you may be going through this right now. Some of you have been going through it. You know, people within our own church family that have gone through tremendous tragedy, yet their faith has shined like the sun. Why? Because they had enduring faith. You see, enduring faith is learning to trust that beyond the fog we are in, God still reigns and has not abandoned us no matter how silent and distant he may appear at the time. Enduring faith is believing that in the darkest side of life, we still believe that God is good and that he's good all the time. So one Christian writer has written, faith is confidence in God's faithfulness to me in an uncertain world on an uncharted course through an unknown future. That's enduring faith, isn't it? It means trusting God's faithfulness no matter how hopeless, how despairing, how tragic and impossible the situation appears at the moment. God is there. And the Bible gives us some practical lessons on enduring faith. I want to share a few with you this morning. In fact, turn to Job chapter 42. You probably figured I was going to that. Job chapter 42. Let me get to it. Job chapter 42. 
Now look at Job. He lost his family. He lost everything. He lost his family, his wealth, his health, his status, his well-being. And even though he asked God, why are these things happening? Don't we do that often? Why, Lord? Why? But Job could still say, don't turn to it. But Job could still say in Job chapter 19, verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives. And then in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And then near the end of the book, even before any of Job's losses had been restored, even while he was sitting on a pile of rubble and covered with sores, he would say what? In Job 42, 3, you ask me, my counsel without knowledge, and what he say? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand and things too wonderful for me to know. You see, the Lord never gave Job the answers that he wanted. All God did for Job was give him a great wilderness journey you know, from all of creation. And what did God say to Job in a sense? If I can do all this, if I can create all this, do you not think that I care for you? Do you not think that I have a plan for you? And Job could say, I rest in you. We know the rest of the story, don't we? He got restored, didn't he? Turn to Lamentations chapter 3. That's right after Jeremiah. Very familiar passage of Scripture. Jeremiah chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. Consider Jeremiah. Jeremiah was present when the Babylonians besieged conquered and destroyed Jerusalem killing thousands of God's chosen people and enslaving thousands more and forcibly marching them to Babylon here Jeremiah was left with a poor remnant Jerusalem but you know Jeremiah had faith in the Lord didn't he that better days were coming that the Lord that the chastening of the Lord would end at a specific time and that's in Jeremiah, right? And so he could write in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, because the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is what? Your faithfulness. Amen. Well, let's find Habakkuk. I found it because I put a marker here so I wouldn't lose it. <laughs> you know, people, when you're an elder or pastor, people watch you. You know, if you're sitting in a pew and, they, and, the, and the pastor up preaching says, turn to Nahum, <laughs> you better find it quick. Because people are going to say, well, he, that guy doesn't know where Nahum is. You know. Well, have you found Habakkuk? Was it, if you look at Habakkuk, wasn't he, that chapter 1, wasn't he so perplexed that God would send the hated Babylonians that feared and violent horde that murder and kill and collect, collect, sand, collect, collect captives like sand on the sea. You know, said, why, Lord? I cry for help, but you don't save. Why, Lord, do you tolerate wrong? Why are you silent? Why can't I see you? Why are you hidden? It seems that in the last chapter, though, he comes to his senses, doesn't he? 
because he says in Habakkuk chapter 3, 17 through 18, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop failed, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, what does he say? Yet will I rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Do you have that when things are going really bad? God, know whatever you do. Even though you slay me, as Job would say, yet will I trust in you, because you have a plan for my life. You see, all these men are examples of enduring faith. Now, let me ask you this. Do you have that kind of faith? Listen. The same God that was with Job and Jeremiah and Habakkuk is the same God that's with you today. Isn't that right? Same God that's with you today. And that's my message on saving faith the faith, enduring faith. I trust you all have that saving faith. If you don't have saving faith, now is the time to get settled. I trust you all make 2024 the, really, the, day, the year you really make a concerted effort to learn more about the faith that you have embraced by saving faith to know more about what you believe in this book. I also trust that when you face the difficult storms of life, you have that enduring faith in the Lord to see you through it. As it says in Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Isn't that great to know? A very present help in trouble. Let me close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this opportunity to share the Word of God. And I pray there's no one here in this audience that doesn't have saving faith that now will be the time that you'll work in their hearts, convict them by the Holy Spirit to make it right. And I pray, Lord, that we in this audience too will grow in the Lord, that we'll grow in the faith and doctrine and know how to refute truth from error. And I also pray, Lord, that when bad things happen, when terrible things come into our life, that we can't explain and we ask God why, we'll have that enduring faith that will abide with us because we know you are with us and with us through all times. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us in so many ways. We give it all to you in Christ's name. Amen. Please.